Hello, and welcome to the Strategica podcast from the Hoover Institution, analyzing the intersection of military history and contemporary national security concerns. You can find us online at hoover.org forward slash Strategica. I'm your host, Troy Sinek, and today we'll be examining the topic of the most recent issue of Strategica, Do Past Arms Control Treaties Offer Insight About the Proposed Iran Nuclear Agreement? And we are joined today by the author of the historical backgrounder in this issue, Angelo Cotavella, Professor Emeritus of International Relations at Boston University and a member of Hoover's Military History Working Group. Angelo, thanks for joining us. You're most welcome. So let's start here since this is indeed the historical backgrounder for this issue. You draw a pretty bright line in your piece between pre-World War I arms control efforts and post-World War I. What happens there? What's the change? The change is the adoption by Westerners, primarily Americans, but also British, uh, to a lesser extent others, uh, of uh, a mentality according to which the details of arms control agreements, especially the the uh, objectives with which both sides enter into them, are irrelevant because they assume that in fact uh, both sides consider the weapons themselves to be uh, the problem to be dealt with, and really share uh, the the uh, the objective of having good relations. Whereas prior to that time. Uh, arms control agreements were part of of uh, straightforward arms length uh, international uh, deals by which one side imposed or agreed to have imposed or agreed uh, to uh, to um, to measures that um, that constrain arms but without any illusions about the contrasting purposes. The main difference is the illusion of a convergence of purposes. To to what do you attribute that? I mean the, the pre-World War I version that you're talking about sounds like horse sense. And the, the post-World War I version sounds a little bit like self-deception. And it's just – but we're not talking about an isolated incident here. We're, you're talking about most of Western uh, society over the course of about a century. What, what, what do you think creates such a, a dramatic well, change? Uh, yeah, well, the will to believe. The will to believe <laughs> and the, uh, the political incentives to, uh, to believe. Look. There is a, one of my favorite passages in, his, passages in history is a controversy between uh, uh, Senator William Bora uh, and uh, former Secretary of, of, of State uh, uh, William, uh, um, no, not yeah, no, this, uh, this is Wilson Secretary of State Jennings. At any rate, um, uh, Bora accused the uh, the other had said, look, uh, uh, regarding the the. Um, uh, the various the arms control agreements of with, with Germany and with Japan. So look, we cannot simply assume that the issues that divide us have gone away. They have not. Arms are merely the the means for the achievement of these ends, and we had better first fix the 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 controversies over substance, and then we can deal with arms. Well, William Boris said, I refuse to believe. I refuse to believe that we have to uh, settle international affairs by by arms. Uh, I am better than that, and uh, how dare 
this man, this former uh, uh, Secretary of State, uh, say such things. Uh, these are ignoble things, et cetera, et cetera. He is a warmonger. Well, what are you going to say to that? Right. You know, it's a question of uh, it's something like, uh, when did you stop beating your wife? Right. Uh, I am better than you because I'm willing to take more risks for peace than you. Uh, Hubert Humphrey, in uh, 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 his argument for the establishment of the U.S. Arms Control and Disarmament Agency in 1961, said almost exactly the same things, that I am willing to take risks for peace. Uh, this is the... Uh, the golden fleece. This is the the um, the thing that we all strive for. And since it's so important, you know why? You know uh, why show yourself to be such a warmonger? Lyndon Johnson ran against Barry Goldwater on the same <laughs> on the same uh, premise. So um, there is a, a tremendous political incentive in a democracy. To, to show oneself uh, more anti-war than thou. There's an interesting formulation in your piece at Strategica. You write, wars stem from conflicting objectives. Treaties do not change them, though sometimes they reflect changes in them. So, Angela, let me take a run at this concept, and you tell me whether I've got it or not. The piece of paper, All right. the piece of paper that you're signing for one of these arms control agreements is doing one of two things. By, by your formulation here. It's either A, simply recognizing an underlying reality that would be true whether you signed the piece of paper or not, or B, it's essentially dead letter. But it's never the agreement itself that actually changes things. Is that right? That is precisely correct. What you have just said is the common sense of diplomacy. John Quincy Adams used to uh, used to inveigh upon that, that uh, uh, agreements are really essentially superfluous, or at best they codify an agreement that already exists. The signature itself adds nothing. Uh, if the agreement is, if the underlying agreement is there, if a meeting of the minds exists, codification of it only helps a little bit to, to remove whatever lingering doubts one might have about the details. But if the uh, contrast or objective exists, uh, a piece of paper cannot change that. So with that in mind, Angelo, dissect the Iranian nuclear deal for me. <laughs> well, <laughs> it's, uh, I, I've never seen I've, I've never seen the, the um, objectives, uh, uh, the differences in objectives spelled out so clearly. I mean, what else do you say to death to America? I mean, you know, that's, uh, <laughs> that's uh, rather straightforward. Um, and uh, I, I, what I find most remarkable is that um, uh, both the president, our president, and our secretary of state uh, say, well, uh, we understand that their objectives are the same, but we, uh, we because of this agreement, can hold them fast. Uh, to the terms. In other words, basically, they are uh, going one step beyond the modern understanding of, of our control and saying, well, all right, uh, so the um, objectives do matter. But, uh, but now what we've done by agreeing to, um, to in fact, uh, uh, give them more power to achieve their objectives we are in a better position to hold them to our understanding 
of the agreement. Now, that makes precisely zero sense. I mean, there's no way that one can give that reading a benefit of the doubt. Uh, I mean, one really could ask them, please explain what sense that makes, because truly, I do not understand what sense you are making. So, Angelo, considering the Iran deal, is this was the error here the way the Obama administration approached the diplomacy, or was the error leaning so much on diplomacy in the first place? Look, diplomacy is neither more nor less than conveyance of uh, of reality, verbal conveyance of reality. The reality here was that uh, President Obama, for his own reasons, decided to uh, to get for himself and his party a um, an excuse, a, a pretext, a uh, reason to uh, give up on the long-standing U.S. demand that Iran be prevented from having a nuclear weapon. And so, on the one hand, they gave uh, Iran greater power to pursue all of its um, objectives, including a, a nuclear weapon. Uh, and on the other hand, they say they claim, without any visible means of support or even invisible means of support, that they can somehow prevent them from doing this. This is uh, raising chutzpah to a new level. I mean, uh, no one believes this who does not want to believe it. Uh, this is not something that is demonstrable. Uh, so uh, di diplomacy could very well have conveyed a very different, um, uh, very different uh, pur purpose. But uh, I'm afraid that uh, in this case, U.S. diplomacy accurately conveyed uh, Obama's purpose. And Iran fully understands what Obama's purpose is and can be counted upon to take full advantage of it. So final question then. We learned earlier this week that it, it now appears President Obama has the votes that he needs in the Senate in order to make this deal fly. It basically seems to be a fait accompli at this point. When in the future we pull back and look at this president and this Congress with the distance and dispassion of history, what is their legacy going to be? What's the legacy of this deal going to be in historic terms? Well, the legacy of this deal is already evident. Number one, we have uh, a, um, an Iran which can now more freely dispense its, uh, its treasure to uh, to pursue number one its uh, its primary immediate concern, which is the war that it is waging on behalf of the uh, Shia minority within the Islamic world against the Sunni majority, and secondly, of course, to pursue the nuclear weapon. Now, uh, there is a big one of the things we will look back upon is a gross popular and even elite misunderstanding of. Um, uh, of what it takes to, to make usable nuclear weapons. The, the focus of the agreement is mistakenly, ignorantly, I should say, not mistakenly, but ignorantly, on the, the acquisition of enough fissionable and fusionable material to, to, to make weapons. And that is assumed to be a certain rather high quantity. In fact, the the quantity this is something that, that very few people realize that the quantity of fissionable and fusionable material required to make nuclear weapons is inversely proportional to the technology involved. 
modern nuclear weapons use very small amounts of fissionable and fusionable material. Iran almost certainly already has plenty of such material. What it doesn't have is the advanced conventional technology to use that material in small amounts in, um, in usable, miniaturized, missile-deliverable nuclear weapons. That is, what, that is one of the things that the money that, uh, that this um, agreement gives them will be used for, and the time that we are giving them, the, the relief from sanctions, will also give them. So when we look back on this, this will, uh, this will appear to be exactly what it is, a, um, the empowerment of Iran. How far that empower will take Iran, God only knows. But uh, that is the one and only certainty that will come out of this agreement. All right. Our guest has been Angelo Cotavilla, Professor Emeritus of International Relations at Boston University and a member of Hoover's Military History Working Group. You can read his essay and those by other members of the group by visiting us online at hoover.org slash strategica. That's S-T-R-A-T-E-G-I-K-A. Angelo, thanks very much for being with us. You're welcome. For the Hoover Institution, I'm Troy Sinek. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Strategica, and I'm Victor Davis Hanson.